Good evening. Good to see you here tonight. I hope you've had a wonderful week in the Lord, a wonderful day in the Lord. I hope that this day has prepared you to come tonight into the Lord's house for our midweek service and to hear the word of the Lord and to look at Habakkuk again. We started our journey in Habakkuk last Wednesday evening, and we have, I pray, it's been a fruitful journey thus far. We looked in the first service at the times of Habakkuk, the era of Habakkuk, the prophet himself and his era. We spoke of it as a generation after Reformation because the story of Habakkuk is a prophet who is called to prophesy to a generation that comes immediately following one of the greatest Reformations in the history of the people of God, Josiah's Reformation, the Reformation led by the tender-hearted king, a great Reformation. And yet what Habakkuk shows us is that in so short a time, but even a great reformation can fall away. It can fall away. In fact, it isn't even a generation. It's just four or five years after Josiah's death until we come to so pitiful an era in the history of Judah. So Habakkuk is a prophet called to Jerusalem. He's called to prophesy on behalf of God. And yet what is interesting about This book is, it is really Habakkuk speaking directly to God. We looked at the first four verses last Wednesday because what we wanted to see was that Habakkuk's initial question or charge toward God set the stage for the timing of the letter. It helped us to understand why Habakkuk is talking to God. It helped us understand the setting of this letter. It helped us to understand what is going on inside Jerusalem. And it was not a pretty picture. We spoke last Wednesday night about the importance of this letter. It is said to be a a letter of the minor prophets. Habakkuk is a minor prophet. And yet we have tried to emphasize that he is not minor in importance. Habakkuk and his prophecy is one of the most important books in the Old Testament. So much of the theology that is set up for us in the New Testament points back to this short letter. It is minor in length but it is major in significance, and so we want to recognize that. As we look at the text tonight, I want to be careful how we approach it. We looked at the first four verses of this letter last Wednesday night, but we did so only as a way of setting the stage. And so we will look at them again tonight in the flow of the events here. As we look at the text tonight, I want us to read it just as we come to it, to keep that dramatic flair that is in the text And so we can really take it one little piece at a time in order to, I pray, adequately cover it. So I want to begin again where we began last time. And I want to look at the first four verses because it is what moves the dialogue. It's what moves the discussion. The prophet Habakkuk and his book begin like this. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Now my friends, as we saw last time, that helped us to understand the problems of Judah the problems of Jerusalem, the problems of the age in which Habakkuk lived. It certainly did that. It told us that it was a dark time. 
I believe we said that, that Judah had gone from the heights of reformation under Josiah to the moral cesspool that we see in this text in only a few short years. And yet look at what it shows us about the people of Judah. He starts out again with this cry, How long will I cry out to you and you will not hear? How long can I cry out to you, even cry out to you, O God? Violence! And you do not save. I want you to think for a moment about that. It was an age of violence. when We covered this last week, but I want you to think about it again because it is chief in the prophet's charge, if you will, is that even in the case of violence where the innocent are put under the sword or, or, or beat up or whatever it is that Habakkuk envisions, he says even this is going on. God, I see iniquity. I see trouble. I see plundering. I see... Violence all before me, strife and contention, and the law is powerless. There is no governing force. It is all permitted. It is chaos. God, this cannot be your will. Justice is not done. It never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. They outnumber them and they destroy them. And perverse judgment proceeds. There is no righteous court to whom we can turn. A righteous man is left without defense. The only way to defend oneself is through violence, and violence begets violence. Now this is a strong charge against the days and the people in Habakkuk's generation. It reminds me very much of the charge that God Himself makes in the book of His prophet Isaiah against His own people. That they are violent, that they are corrupt, that they are greedy, that they don't care for one another, that all they are interested in doing is stretching their properties by adding and adjoining more and more properties to their own. It doesn't matter if there's a widow who is in need, gobble up her land. And so again, it's an age of wickedness. But if we see that this is a charge against the people and against the time in which Habakkuk lives, what I really think we need to see tonight is that it's also a charge against God. I don't see how you can read the book of the prophet Habakkuk and not see that he is directly uh, challenging and charging God. He's saying, answer for yourself, O God. Answer this. How can this be? How can this be? I've cried out to you, O God. I have said there is a problem in the land of Judah. There is a problem in the capital city of Jerusalem. There is a problem in your land, in your city. And you do not hear me, O God. Do you hear that charge? You do not hear. You do not listen, O God. Now, my friends, that is not a good charge to make against the living and true God, the holy God, the God of Israel, the God of the people of Israel. But he says, it's as if I I cry out to you over and over to rectify this, to bring judgment against the the godless, to, to bring judgment against the corrupt and the wicked, and you do nothing. It's as if you do not hear me. Maybe Habakkuk was thinking back to Isaiah chapter 1, where God says to the people that he does not even hear their prayers. Now he's speaking to the unrighteous in Israel. The unrighteous who run through the motions religiously. They go to the temple. They run through the the motions, but their heart isn't in it. And he says, I don't want your trampling of my courts. I'm not even listening to your prayers anymore. Maybe Habakkuk is saying, how is this happening to me, O God? I'm not running through the motions. My heart is, is to be a faithful prophet of 
of yours, O oh God, but it, it seems as if you're not hearing me. You're not listening anymore. Even when I cry out to you, violence. And this is what I was getting at a moment ago. Even when I cry out to you, violence, you do not save. I don't know what Habakkuk has in mind here. If he is seeing innocent people struck down and killed or beat up, I don't know. He doesn't say. But my friends, we know that there were plenty of examples in the history of Israel where wicked things were done and people were killed for gain. You may think of the judgment that God brings on Jezebel. You may think of instances like that where uh, ungodly acts are met with judgment. And here is the prophet of God saying, God, I'm seeing acts that are not just, acts that are violent, acts that are abusive to human beings, acts that are not what you would desire. And I cry out to you to save, to intervene. And you do not save. You do not save. My friends, I think that might have been a difficult aspect of this for the prophet Habakkuk. You can imagine, as in our own day, when you hear of reports of widows attacked or the elderly attacked or child abuse or whatever it may be, your heart is stirred with a sense that there needs to be justice. Habakkuk says, I cry out to you all the time, God. And yet there is never an intervention. There is no answer. There is no saving of those who are in need. My friends, I think Habakkuk is confused. I think he is disheartened. He is crying out, God, I need to know what's going on. How can this be? How can this happen? And so my friends, he continues. Why do you show me iniquity? Why do you cause me to see trouble? Why have you called me to this ministry? to see all these things and to preach against them and to cry out against them. And yet, all of these things happen without any rectifying power on your end. No justice served, O God. In fact, the only thing we see, if there would be anything at all that you could call justice, it's perverse justice. It's justice undone in the process of calling it justice. God, this is not of you. This is not of you. Now, my friends, I should have said as we jumped into this, I was kind of eager to get into this text. I I love this text. I find it interesting. I should have said this is our first point tonight. (laughs) And I don't think I've ever announced a point two-thirds of the way through it. Uh, But this first point is called a question of God's justice because that is what Habakkuk is doing. He is questioning God's justice. God, I want to know how you can explain if you are a just God, if you are a caring God, how can you abide and let this occur without response, without judgment? How can this occur? It's interesting, isn't it? Because in verse 5, God gives His answer. I ended last Wednesday night by saying that Uh, God will answer. God will hear. He will respond. He will give an answer to this. What does He say? Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told to you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards. 
and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. The cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind, and they gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this to his God. Now, my friends, that is the Word of God. That is God replying to his prophet Habakkuk's question or charge of why God is not acting. And what is God's reply? We just heard it, but what did he say? He said, look, don't think I'm not at work. Don't think I'm ignoring it. Don't think justice will not be served. While you've been speaking, I'm already at work. Before you were speaking, Habakkuk, I was already at work. I prepared something so mind-boggling, so awesome and astounding that you wouldn't believe it if it were explained to you. What is it? God says, For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now that's the Babylonians. God says, I am raising up an enemy nation, a hostile nation. They shall be my instrument of justice against my own people. They shall be my tool of discipline against Judah and against Jerusalem. Now, my friends, this should not surprise the children of Israel. This should not surprise the people of Judah. They had already seen God act in such a way against the northern kingdom of Israel. God had already brought judgment against them by the Assyrians. And it's been told to Judah time and again, God will do the same to you. In fact, Isaiah prophesied that it would happen. It would come to pass. And yet the people continued headlong into idolatry and sin, disobedience before God. And what God is saying is now that moment is near. Now that moment is near. In fact, notice it's so near that God says, You will live to see it, Habakkuk. I will do a work in your days, God says to Habakkuk. I'll raise up the Chaldeans. Now, again, you might ask, does God understand what He's saying here? Now, we know God is omniscient. He knows everything. God knows everything there is to know about the Chaldeans. But... Some might say, how could God use this nation? That's going to be Habakkuk's very question. But God says even here, He knows all about them. He calls them a bitter and hasty nation. They march through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They take what is not theirs. They are a conquering nation. They are a war-mongering nation. They are a violent nation. They are not a God-honoring nation. They are terrible, he says in verse 7. They are dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. And they are a military power. Again, verses 8 and 9 say this. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They move fast. They are skilled at war. They are more fierce than an evening wolf. This is the idea of a wolf that is not eaten and it is hungry before going to bed at night. It will attack if it has opportunity. Their chargers charge ahead and the cavalry comes from afar. My friends, the idea here is they are powerful. They are swift. 
They are an efficient military and their end is clear. Their goal is clear. Nine, verse 9 says, They all come for violence. They gather captives like sand. My friends, that's not an illustration we can only understand in the ancient world. Take your child to the beach with a bucket. Watch them gather sand up like nothing at all. Just scoop it right up. They're scooping nations up. They're scooping peoples up. They're scooping prisoners up. They are destroying lives. And they are not fearful. They scoff at kings. Princes are scorned. They see an enemy city that is powerful like Jerusalem. It's got walls around it. They build up earthen mounds to lay siege to the city. And they bring it down. And they give the glory for this to their own gods. Now my friends, God is saying there is justice coming. Habakkuk, if you would question whether or not I will do justice, if you question whether or not I will bring a punishment upon the wrongdoing in my own nation, here is the answer. I am going to do it. It is already willed and planned. It will happen in the sovereignty of God. It will happen under His providence. It will happen because God has set it forth. Now my friends, we should not fail to recognize how serious this is. I think when Habakkuk was crying out for justice, I just sense as I read this, maybe you do as well, that what he really wanted was God to strike some people down. He wanted the judgments like we read about. I mentioned earlier Jezebel. For her evil and wicked deeds, she personally was killed. I think Habakkuk might have been looking more for that. Can you strike down some evildoers? Can you give us another good and faithful king? My friends, that's not how God is choosing to do this. God is telling him, you want judgment against your people, against the evil of your nation? It is coming. But it's not coming in the way that you expect. Sometimes God does not answer the way we want Him to. We know that. We pray for something and God answers that prayer because it is a righteous request, but He may not do it in the way that we think. Because God knows what we do not know. God's ways are not our own. God's ways are higher. God's ways are perfect. God's ways consider everything that we cannot consider. And He acts according to the good counsel of His own will. So my friends, we see here this question of God's justice is met by God's declaration that justice will be served. But that brings up another question. A question that is implicit in what the prophet says next. I want you to listen to the prophet's response to God's answer. Starting in verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook, and they catch them in their nets. They gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? 
I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Now, if our first question of God by Habakkuk or charge against God by Habakkuk was a question of God's justice, this is a question about God's righteousness. I don't see how we can avoid that. The question at its basis that Habakkuk is asking here is, God, how can you, being righteous, do what you just said to me? How can you, a God who abhors evil, a God who cannot stand evil, a God who is righteous and thrice holy, how can you abide a plan like you just described to me? If you don't see that, look again at the wording here. In the first question, the question of God's justice, notice that all the focus of Habakkuk was on the perpetrators. All the focus is on what the people of Judah were doing, the sin that they were doing, even though implicit in that charge is what God is not doing. He's focused on what the people are doing in violating the law of God. Here, though, he turns to the attributes of God. He says, God, are you not from everlasting? Are you not the eternal and everlasting God, the unchanging God? O Lord my God, my Holy One. And then Habakkuk says this interesting thing, we shall not die. Habakkuk is holding on to the promises of God. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. Does he mean here the wicked of Judah or uh, the wicked enemy armies of the Chaldeans? Or does he mean both? I think his point is that it's not the righteous of God who are appointed to destruction and judgment. It is the enemies of God. O rock, in this great language of of Moses, O rock, the one in whom we trust and find our foundation, you have marked them for correction. But now listen as the charge begins. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. In other words, this is true, right? God, you cannot uh, look upon evil. You cannot abide evil. You cannot... Uh, rest in evil. You cannot look upon wickedness. Now here comes the charge. Those things being true, all those things being true, God, you are holy. God, you are from everlasting. God, you have made promises that you will keep. God, you have marked your enemies for destruction. All those things true. Your eyes are purer than to behold evil. All that is true. So then I've got a question, Habakkuk says. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? You understand what he's saying here? If you cannot look upon sin, how can you look upon the evil and do nothing? How can you look upon the Chaldeans and not bring judgment upon them? How can you hold your tongue when the wicked devours? The idea of the, uh, the enemies of God gobbling up lands and nations and peoples. How can you stand by during that? In other words, not only not bring judgment against them, but you don't even say anything. He says, you hold your tongue. Where is the judgment that should rain down upon these enemies as they do their wickedness? Especially when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. Where is the sense of of order or justice in that? God, you should not allow the more wicked to devour the more righteous. And yet that's what your plan is that you just laid out. The plan that you just laid out, O God, is that your answer to my cry out 
over the wicked of Judah devouring the the innocent of Judah is that you're going to devour, devour all of Judah by a nation more wicked than Judah. Habakkuk says, I don't understand this, O God. I don't understand this. Why would you act in such a way? How is there justice in acting in this way? How could you let a more wicked nation gobble us up and prosper as a result? How is that justice against our evils? That someone more evil than us would prosper at our expense, even in bringing justice or judgment against us. As many scholars point out, the chargers really get even more uncomfortable, more pointed. Verse 14, why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? Now, think about this. You make men weak, numerous, almost as if what the point of Habakkuk is saying is here. You make all these people who are nothing but food for the wicked to just gobble up. Look at what he says in verse 15. They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net. They gather them in the dragnet. Why have you appointed it, the, the masses of man to be captured and destroyed by these forces of evil? And then you know, O oh God, that they will not give you glory anyway. They will laugh and they will mock and they will sacrifice to their nets and dragnets. Then this last question, God Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay the nations without pity? Are you going to allow this to continue, God? Is this the answer? I cry out to you because the weak in Judah are being preyed upon by the wicked of Judah, and your answer is to bring a more wicked nation to devour both the the wicked and the righteous of Judah. Will they just continue to gobble up the righteous over and over again forever and ever? Or will there be a day where they're not allowed to continue, that wicked is not allowed to reign and win the day? Now, my friends, the the prophet is making some pretty strong charges. He knows that. He says at the end, I will stand my watch. I will set myself on the rampart. I'm going to wait, in other words, for God to respond. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. He expected to be corrected. He knew, I think, He is being too bold here. And we're not going to go into chapter 2 today in terms of uh, working through it verse by verse. We'll do that next week. But I also don't want to leave hanging the Lord's response because the Lord will respond to him. The Lord responds in a powerful way to him with woes and messages of judgment. And the message of God is that the guilty will not escape punishment. That yes, he is going to bring judgment through the Chaldeans against Judah because Judah is worthy of judgment. But make no mistake about it. Babylon will not escape their own judgment. God will bring fierce judgment upon them. He will bring wrath upon them. For they are godless. And they are worthy of judgment. And it will be served against them. Make no mistake about it. Any charge that God is not a God of justice, he knocks down by saying he is already in the process of bringing justice. Before you even thought to ask the question, Habakkuk, I was already at work to right the wrong, to bring justice against them. But any question of God's righteousness is also misplaced and wrong. God says that righteousness will reign. Judgment will fall upon all wrongdoers. 
And my friends, he is saying that is happening in the, the here and now. But we know that there is a great day coming in which every wrong will be made right. Every wrongdoer punished. The wrath of God will fall upon all who oppose Him. And so my friends, the Lord replies that there is in no sense here a lack of righteousness in what God is doing. God is bringing righteous judgment against Judah today and believe me, He will bring righteous judgment against Babylon tomorrow. And we stand in a position of history to know that He did exactly as He promised. We know the judgment that He brought against Babylon. As we close tonight, having seen our two points, I want to say that this text brings us to a lot of important discussion points, doesn't it? Questions about God. Questions about what is happening when we pray for something to happen that we believe is God's will, justice, or, or maybe judgment on a wrongdoer. We pray these things, but it doesn't seem to happen. What God is reminding us in His Word is He is ever at work. He is always working according to the good counsel of His own will. He is bringing judgment. He is bringing righteous judgment. It may not happen in our time, or as Habakkuk found, it may not happen in the way that we would desire it to happen, but it will happen. God will bring judgment and justice, for He is a righteous God who cannot abide sin. It reminds me of the question from the Westminster Catechism. It's also in Spurgeon's Puritan Catechism that we go through. Question number 11, what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. God is at work, not according to our wisdom and our strength, but according to His perfect holiness, His perfect wisdom, His perfect power, as He governs His creatures and all their actions. God is a sovereign God. God doesn't need are checking up on Him. You know, I've heard it said many times that uh, what Habakkuk does here is okay. Now, I'm not in any way, shape, or form proposing that God cannot handle Habakkuk's questions. But we also shouldn't downplay that what is happening in this moment is Habakkuk has lost patience and faith in the promises and purposes of God. Habakkuk has gotten to a point where he is lost confidence that God is bringing judgment or God is doing right. Now that cannot please God because that is, the, that is not faith. Faith is trusting in the promise of God, trusting in the goodness of God, trusting in the justice of God, trusting in the promises of God. If that is what faith is, then Habakkuk is not showing faith here. And we know the author of Hebrews tells us that outside of faith it is impossible to please God. I don't think Habakkuk is pleasing God with these questions. I think God understands they come from his prophet. I think he understands that they come from a place of honesty and confusion and heartbreak. And many times we cry out to God saying we don't understand what he's doing. But it's in those moments that we need to return to Scripture and remember the God to whom we are praying and crying out. He is not some weak God needing our suggestions. He is the God who is governing all things. He is the God who is working out all things. 
according to the good counsel of His own will. He is the God who will set every wrong right. He is the God who will bring judgment. He is the God who will bring and is bringing salvation to His people. He doesn't need Habakkuk's suggestions. He doesn't need my suggestions, and He doesn't need your suggestions. What He desires of His people is faith. Now maybe we come to these moments like Habakkuk where we question. But my friends, the answer to that is to turn to God's Word and remember the God we serve. He is a holy, righteous, and powerful God. In fact, He is all-powerful. And He is, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, He is working all things together. He is working together all things according to His plan. Habakkuk needs to remember that. Habakkuk needs to trust in that. And brothers and sisters, so do we. In those ups and downs of life, in those days where it seems things are not going in the way we think they should, God is still on His throne. And there is nothing, my friends, that falls outside the scope of His power or authority. That's what we need to remember in those dark days. That's what God tells Habakkuk. You can't see how it's all going to work out, Habakkuk. But I know how it's all going to work out. Evil will be judged. Trust in that. Amen.